Bonjour, hi, I'm Pascal Auclair. I hope this talk supports you in your practice. J'espère que cet enseignement vous sera aidant. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed. Vous pouvez me soutenir en cliquant sur le bouton sous ma photo. Your support is greatly appreciated. Merci. I'd like to read again uh, the definition of uh, sati from Kamala Masters. And just as you hear it, check out if that fits your experience, if you recognize something uh, like what is described as you, you've been going through the day today. So she says, uh, sati, so the word in Pali of mind, for mindfulness. Sati remembers itself, knowing. Can you relate to this? That at some point, mindfulness remembers itself. Oh yeah, there's a possibility to be attentive here, to be particularly present, something like this. Just enough energy to connect and sustain attention on an object to know it clearly. Not clinging to it like we cling to things we want or fear. So that's the exploration of the right or wise, maybe, relationship with what's happening. How can this be known? Clearly, without grasping it, having an opinion about it, or rejecting it, whatever it is uh, that presents itself, a step, a breath, a mood, oh, grumpy, grumpy, just enough energy to connect with grumpiness and sustain attention on grumpiness, to know grumpiness clearly. <coughs> Why not? Our fear, fear is here. Just enough energy to connect and sustain attention on fear, to know fear clearly. Oh yeah, fear. It does this, or it does this, or it feels like this. And then she goes on. So to me this would be the first type of uh, wisdom we're developing the wise relationship with what is happening. It's not easy, I would say, about at least one lifetime, <laughs> maybe a few more. <laughs> I was uh, in the group today, I was saying, uh, somehow a few years ago, I don't know how it came about, but um, maybe like 15 years ago, I gave up on the timeline. Like there was something that became clear to me that I had to do this job, I would do this job, and the rest I didn't care about. Like I was not going to give up, and the time frame I didn't care about. It seems very ob obvious to me or clear to me that I had to do the job, nobody else would do it for me, you know? 
and that I was committed to doing it. And the rest, I don't care. Meaning the timing, you know, that it should... No. If I fall flat on my face, which happens regularly, I just pick up from there, you know, and uh, start over again, start, continue. So, so that's the first kind of wisdom. Maybe we... I, Again, there's so many ways to talk about the Dharma. This is the way it shows up in my mind these days. So, exploration of the wise relationship with what's happening outside, around, in relationships with human beings, and within ourselves, within the body. How to be in a wise relationship with what's uh, happening in the body or in, in, in the heart how to accompany, how to meet beauty, meaning, how to meet uh, what's uh, horrible to see or hear of or witness. What's the... And it's a way that I've heard even nirvana being described. What is nirvana? I've heard it once very kind of unexpected for me, like unusual way to describe nirvana. What is nirvana? Appropriate response. The appropriate response to what is happening. Sometimes it's to stand up and say no. Sometimes it's to sit down and say no. (laughs) Sometimes it's to say yes. Sometimes it's to wait a little bit. Sometimes it's to speak instead of not speaking. Sometimes it's to accept. Sometimes it's to get creative about what's going on. It's not easy to find the wise relationship to what's happening. So that could be plenty here. But there's more in, the, in the Kamala's definition here. So she goes on saying, shall I start from the beginning or not? It's good, no? I, it's, it's a pedagogy, it's a teaching thing to do. It, it works for me. So sati remembers itself, knowing. Just enough energy to connect and sustain attention on an object to know it clearly, not clinging to it like we cling to things we want or fear. Knowing the impermanent, not personal, and conditional nature of the object. So that's the second kind of wisdom I would like to talk about this afternoon. And of course they're interrelated. You might be able to uh, connect them together as I go along. And this has to do with the, maybe with the last of the three questions. The first kind of wisdom might be related to the second question. So what's the first question? What's happening? The second, how am I holding it? How is it met? 
What's my relationship to it? Worth of so much attention and interest. How are you holding this, Pascal? When I say Pascal, it's a pedagogical way <laughs> to mean us. <laughs> That's a strange way to do this, but I think somehow it works. <laughs> so, how is this held? How is this met? How could this be met? Sometimes the mind starts to have a pliability to it. It's one of the qualities we develop here. The flexibility of mind. Sometimes, have, have you noticed, the mind is rigid. Like, this is not how it's supposed to be. It's never supposed to be like this. Why is it like this? It's not supposed to be like this. It's like, is there another way to hold it? No, there's no other way to hold this. Okay, there's no flexibility in the mind. It happens. But sometimes, especially when we've been practicing for a few days, when we've created supporting, supportive condition inwardly, you know, there could be some kind of reaction, impatience, or opinion comes up, and there might be some flexibility in the mind where one could say, how could that be held? How could that be met? Is there another way? That's the whole quest of the Buddha. Is there another way to be in relationship with you know, what is disagreeable, disease, old death, old age and death, as it's summed up. You know? So is there another way? And sometimes the mind has that flexibility. Have you noticed this? At least once. <laughs> like I'm just about to have an opinion about this, but I'm going to wait a second and just see how it's going to unfold. And suddenly, whoops, there's a little switch of attitude. And so what's my relationship to this? I can notice, sometimes, I can maybe reorient. That's the way I think about this. It's like, I'm about to go like this in my habitual way. You know, I'm going to come in here and fix everything. Um, and some, sometimes like, oh, is there another way, Pascal? <laughs> like waiting that's unusual for this type of personality and you know there's a reorienting is there another way to hold this and the practice of mindfulness is a way to as i was saying this morning to accompany you know the afflictive or difficult mind state, maybe towards the exit slowly. You know, like, hey, I understand you feel like this, for sure. Let me travel with you a little bit in this direction. Oh, here's the door. <laughs> Voila, we traveled together, I accompanied you. Fear, obsession, you know. And, uh, so becoming aware of, So the relationship. And the third question, what happened uh, after? This is to highlight the second kind of wisdom. The second kind of wisdom, for the sake of this talk, just playing with the form, playing with the Dharma, it's made for this, for exploration, for trial and error to play with. In this third question, it's, um, 
it's almost as if, I'll try it like this, we're going a little deeper. Extremely important, the relationship, how we're holding things. But now we're invited to go at the level of perception, how we perceive things, not just how we're relating to them, but how we understand them to be, perceive them. And this very simple question, what happened eventually or what happened after, is the really good trick of the teacher in the Burmese tradition with these three questions. It's a really good trick of the teacher to highlight the ephemeral nature of pretty much anything. A thought, an emotion, a sensation, uh, an identity even. Uh, pretty much anything. Temperature. Uh, anything inside, outside. Anything of the past. Was, is it the way to say it, liable to impermanence? Anything of the present is anything of the future. Things small, things big, things subtle, things more gross. All of them have all one, at least one thing in common. is the fact that they appear and disappear. They come to be and they pass. And with this third question, what's happening, how it was it met, and what happened after, or what happened eventually. It's to highlight to the meditator that, you know, the big inner crisis about, you know, this or that, you know, this or that relationship, which often is something that visits on retreat, doesn't it? You know? It appeared, and suddenly it vanished. The mind state of great worry passed. So, the opinion arose and passed at some point. And so, this is where. The investigation here is on the perceptual level. What we perceive as solid, as hard, uh, permanent, uh, existing so much, we, with mindfulness, we might become aware that it has ephemerality to it. could almost say some kind of lightness to it playing with words here, playing with ways of conceiving this. And so, yeah, that's why uh, I'm using this term that I heard from somebody else uh, and make sense to me, oh yeah, we're doing a perceptual training here, or perceptual investigation. And this is what mindfulness does, uh, it helps clarify perception. I think I, Joseph would say this. For example, uh, 
One thing that we do sometimes in meditation is we uh, use noting or labeling. Some of you know this kind of technique, if we call it like this. So as I'm uh, breathing, uh, as the body's breathing, maybe I'll say in, out, in, out. Or as walking, maybe I'll start the walking meditation by saying stepping, stepping, or at some point lifting, placing, lifting, placing, or at some point lifting, moving, placing. And what it does when we do the noting, sometimes it's helpful if the mind is scattered, because it helps us perceive what is happening. It's a little bit like putting a frame around the picture to invite us to look. So as I say stepping, I'm invited to feel the steps, or that step. Do you see? And so this is a way to practice to help me perceive what is happening. Otherwise it's like, oh yeah, we have 20 minutes more, you know. It's like, let's do some noting. What's happening, Pascal? Stopping. Let's feel that. Turning. So we start to perceive more clearly what is happening. The way I've kind of noticed it happen, check it out, is that true for you? The kind of progress on this uh, path, one way to talk about how it uh, gradual training unfolds, is I come to retreat with, I live in a world of concepts. Ideas about things. Idea about how the retreat will go. Idea about me. Ideas about uh, what is meditation. Ideas about so many ideas. And then I'm invited to get really specific. To dive under ideas. To actually experience things. Not my idea of the breath. But what is the actual intimate experience of a breath. Not my idea of moi. But what is it, that experience that I think of as moi? Not the idea of walking, but the actual stepping. Stepping. Do you see, we come a little bit closer to experience, further away from the idea that I should be like this, it should be like this, this is how it's always been, you know? Suddenly we get really specific. And it's really beautiful because with this intimacy, there's something that, uh, there's a... Yeah, kind of joy or wonder that can arise, you know, where suddenly we experience that tree or that caterpillar. Or it's not just like Robin, it's like, oh, this one here is so funny with this little <laughs> thing like this. And what I've heard many, many times over the years is around food, where people will say, I remember at one retreat I was uh, cooking. And, uh, you know, it's another role. There's definitely, you know, identities change. I said that. So at some point I was cooking on a retreat and some, somebody came to see me at the end of the retreat and they were like, what do you put in the porridge? <laughs> Never had such a good porridge. I want to bring you home, Pascal. <laughs> you know, and I was like, well... 
this oatmeal that you buy, <laughs> boiling water and a little salt. <laughs> but there was a special ingredient. What was it? Voila. Yeah? And people have described this so, in so, like things you wouldn't expect. I remember on one retreat, somebody talking about this, they were saying, like inside, you know, like an opening of the heart, you know, like, I tasted the rice. <laughs> I didn't know rice tasted something. I thought it was a support. You know, I thought it was just a support for something. You know, and they were like, I tasted the rice. Or somebody was like, I remember at the end of a retreat, I invited people to write haikus. You know, a little, very short poem about the retreat. This is tricky what I just did here. I should not have done this. Because, yeah, haiku writing is going to start. Please practice renunciation around haiku writing. But this person... The mind right, can cling to anything, like a little thing passes by in the air and it's like, wow, finish the walking, finish the breathing, now I'm a haiku writer. <laughs> That's going to save my life for the next 72 hours left. You know? But this person, I remember, they, they, there's many beautiful ones, but uh, one was, uh, I can't tell you the actual haiku, but what it, the story told was... Uh, you know, something like just when my mind was really, I'd concluded, my mind had concluded a long time ago about something like celery. <laughs> and then mindfully, I crunched in it, or like took a bite, and all my assumptions vanished. <laughs> you know? And I've heard stories like this about... Uh, dry dates or like things like this it, and it's the quality of presence and so we go from the idea of you know you see watermelon I know watermelon but then you sit in presence and you experience that specific one this experience of whatever it is made of you know, crunchiness freshness liquidity you know, flavor. And, and sometimes we will cry huh? in the meeting with nature or food or something will feel... When I started meditating, maybe I, I think I told you this, be aware of the breath. But... At some point, maybe two years in, you know, some, suddenly there was an in-breath met with quality presence. And suddenly, to me, it was remarkable. I almost want to cry. That suddenly, the unexpected, suddenly it was enough reality. Just when I thought that I needed to be somebody else, somewhere further along, that something else had to happen, suddenly just a breath was f plenty of reality. How liberating is this? All my ideas, beliefs, vanished in one real encounter with something very immediate and simple. 
liberated momentarily only from all kinds of views and opinions and ways to conceive of the world. I should be somebody else. I should be further along. It's really true. There's no, it's reality. It's factual. Suddenly, just a breath. Oh, there was all these mistaken views. They had taken over. I was adhering, adhering to them, clinging to them, I, unknowingly, unconsciously. But now they just revealed their ephemeral nature. What seemed solid and true just revealed that it was actually light and mirage-like is a, an image that you, the Buddha uses about perceptions. And so we get specific here. We go from ideas about things to actually experiencing this step, experiencing this step, experiencing the breath, experiencing the holding the fork, moving the fork, experiencing the chewing, the swallowing, the heat. Not the idea, I hate heat, I hate... Let's go underneath, right underneath. What the actual ex is the actual experience? And when we get specific... So we go from the ideas about things, moi, the other, anything else. And here we work really hard, we could say, at getting very specific, at experiencing this breath, this, this bite, this moment here. And when we do this, the specific characteristics of things are going to be revealed. The beauty, the perf very particular beauty of this or this very particular smell at this very particular hour in the garden. And the very particular noise of that particular machine at this time, in this environment, how it resonates. It gets really intimate. So the specificity of experience is going to be revealed. And later on, what is going to be revealed is the universal characteristics of each experience. What each experience, watermelon, robin, uh, breath, step, have in common, it'll be revealed to us. That's the plow going in with the practice, going in and... It, am I mistaken thinking the word is rehearsing? Re it's not rehearsing? Or that's where rehearsing comes from, maybe? I've heard this before. Anyway, moving the earth like this, revealing what was hidden is what I'm trying to portray here. With the plow, returning the earth like we see here. So what is revealed suddenly is the ephemeral nature of the experience of a watermelon melon bite. The ephemeral nature of a smell. The ephemeral nature of a sound the ephemeral nature of a, an emotion, a mood, of an idea, of a belief that I might have carried for 20, 30, 40 years. Suddenly I, could, I might see through it for a second. Oh, it's just a belief. And then it will come back. You're a piece of shit. I want to reassert this here. You know, 
But once we've poked a little hole, we might get caught, and we will, but we've seen through the magician's trick, is what the Buddha talks about also, an image that he uses. Once we've seen, oh yeah, that's uh, conditioning. I've been raised like this, either in family or thank you to the dominant culture, you know. The message was reaffirmed very subtly or not many times through words, silence, images, advertisement. You're not enough. You're not enough. Or whatever else. You know, and suddenly we'll see through it for a moment. Yes, ephemerality. Yeah, that's one of the universal characteristics that everything has in common. Pleasure. What does pleasure have in common with displeasure? Rises and passes. What does youth has in common with old age? Rises and passes. This is also a pedagogical technique to leave strong impressions. I'm working on it. And so we start to see the matrix, we could see the thread underneath, you know, I like this, I don't like this, I hope this happens, I hope that this doesn't happen, that's very specific. This I want, this I don't want, this, the specificity here. But what do these two things have in common? That they will arise and pass, maybe, because they're also uncertain. It's not clear that something will happen. Everything has in common to be uncertain, you know. I go back to a place where I had such a good time, the last time I was there, pick anything, retreat. <laughs> it could be anything else. And, but this time it's a little different, isn't it? It's, you know, ah, the, the weather is not there, you know, it's the same place, but it's raining. It's the same place, but not with the same people. Or it's the same place, but they changed the chef. <laughs> or it's, you know, it's the same moi, but I don't recognize myself because of a night of insomnia. You know? And so what all the things have in common is that they're, by nature, unstable, uncertain, because they're ephemeral, and because they're conditional, it needs many conditions to come together for anything to come about. A retreat needs many, many things. To, it needs the Buddha, it probably needs the Big Bang, if I'm following Titnat Han's teaching. So for the retreat here to happen, we needed a few things. The Big Bang. <laughs> Until it's another story, but up to now it's the Big Bang. It's the most probable. We needed the Buddha. You know, something could have gone wrong for him. <laughs> could have missed the, the boat, the raft. And not crossed to the other side. 
you know, then we wouldn't be here doing this, you know. Maybe we would be here chanting Gregorian chants, but maybe not practicing Buddhist uh, meditation. It needed uh, True North to come together, you know, through, you know, folks gathering, some we know, some we don't know, maybe personally. Some might be here, some might not be here. <laughs> and uh, so it needed, and it needed so many things for each one of us to actually reach here, because there could have been one thing that had, would have happened that we wouldn't be able to be here. It happened to some who are not here now, because something at the last minute showed up, you know, and whoops. And so anything, I'm using the retreat now, but our own existence, our own birth, and anything else, the pandemic, you know, could have easily not happened, or another pandemic, or, you know, things are very, they depend on conditions to come together. And through practice, through paying attention, we start to see this maybe, in the pattern also, that things are, whoops, they come together or they don't, you know, in any kind of way, like you go back to where you walking usually works and somebody's there, whoops, just my walking space, gone, <laughs> you know, or I go there and it's not the same because now the sun is in such an angle that there's no more shade, you know, things are dynamic, fluctuating, uh, changing all the time. And so my idea of anything is probably not going to be the actual experience. Once in a while it is, <laughs> just to keep me going, believing my <laughs> thoughts, you know. Ah, it's exactly as I thought, you know. <laughs> and even these, under these assumptions, these will, the practice, you know, this stabilizing the mind, Stabilizing attention will give us access to the nature of reality, to how it, it really is. It's not hidden. It's only hidden by our lack of attention. So another thing that will be revealed that will be mind-blowing maybe just to hear about, not even to have the experience itself, but just to hear about it, for us might be like, you know, just unheard of. What is another characteristic that everything has in common? In the teaching it says, and we're invited to go check it out for ourselves, it says that not one thing, not one thing, yeah, I'll say it like this, is mine, can be mine, can be I, because it's by nature appearing and disappearing because it's conditional, it depends on many things. So I could conceive of myself as an I, separate from the rest, intrinsic Pascal, really solid, permanent, existing in the universe, and if I adhere or conceive of things like this, apparently it will come with stress, with difficulties like feeling separate, do we sometimes feel separate? It's not easy to be one little conscious being and the rest against the rest of the universe. You know? Or 
if I'm really me, fully me like this, what's going to happen at death? If I continue, it's scary. How? In what form? If I don't continue, it's scary. And through meditation, it can go really, really far. The inquiry can take us really, really far. So far as to question this I that I have conceived of or that I'm perceiving or sensing. What is that made of? And by paying attention, we'll discover how, you know, sensations can't be owned, really. Can you own tingling? Can you own a breath that is already gone? No, it's an event that happens, a breath, you know, and then suddenly it's gone. Can you really own, be identified, appropriate yourself, uh, define yourself by a thought? When you're like, I don't want to think, it keeps thinking. I don't want to think, it just keeps commenting. Clearly it's not me, you know. Plus what it says, you know, a lot of learned things, a lot of conditioned things, you know. I'm not enough. That's a learned thing. I'm way better than everyone else. That's a learned thing. It might be related to gender. Don't you dare go there. (laughs) It might be related to anything else. I remember one time I was doing uh, walking meditation in the, in the dining hall, the place where we were practicing. Uh, we could walk in the dining hall between the tables and chairs. You know? So I was doing walking there very, very mindfully, or as mindfully as I could. You know? A number of days in the retreat, you know, and walking back and forth. Bell rings, calling us to the, calling us to the med hall. So I turn to walk towards the med hall. Let's say uh, I was going this way, straight to the med hall. So I start walking. Somebody else comes through the door. So I take this door. So I just change my course, just a little bit. And as I change my course, there was a fridge there. And suddenly, it doesn't take just lack of little moment of lack of presence, and the tendency creep in very easily. And uh, the Buddha describes it as a, a bottle. He said, "Imagine a bottle, and um, if there's nothing in the bottle, anything can come in. Mara can come in, and if the bottle is full, you can add nothing to it because it's full." And so Mara cannot come in. And and he would say, this is like mindfulness of body. If there is mindfulness of body, Mara can come in. All the attention is given to the experience in the body. But if there is a lack of attention, then worry about the past, the future, boredom, doubt. Any of these can come in. It's a really difficult way to live. It's maybe how we spend most of our time. (laughs) Maybe not you, but many of us. 
anyway, I was walking out, and maybe there was a something, you know, yeah, there was less mindful. See the fridge, and suddenly, image. Sometimes the cook they put a little surprise for uh, yogis in the fridge at this place. Sometimes you open the fridge, there's a little cheese. Sometimes, it, you know. So I open the fridge. No surprise. But on the retreat, there was 80 of us. And there was four, uh, four stories or whatever, shelves. That's, yeah, that's the right word. And one person had claimed a whole shelf. You know, they had put their name with a big uh, tag, and, and, uh, which, in a way, could make sense. It. But suddenly, I had an opinion about it. And suddenly I got like very self-righteous, like how dare they, you know? And then I walked out, and then mindfulness kicked in again. And then I just saw what had happened. And I was like, wow, this was so conditional. If there hadn't been the person going through the door, there wouldn't have been the fridge, there wouldn't have been the, like, all this drama, all this dukkha, all this suffering you know, was extremely conditional. Or maybe my mind was that would have hooked on something else, but not the fridge, you know? And I don't know, somehow, to me, it was very revealing. It was like, oh, and I believe that all these are mine, and I get all identified with my thoughts, you know, I need to check in the fridge, and I can't believe this person, and it's not even mine, in a way. Do you see what I mean? It's just circumstantial, but I cling to it as mine. And then I have to follow the thought and, you know, and, you know, and, and I can just let it arise and pass. I don't have to identify with all these movements of mine, you know. Anyway, that's how it showed up for me. And since then, it comes back very often, you know. And partly that's why sometimes I sit here and I smile. Because it keeps saying things. You know, it, it comes up with things. And it's so interesting to see that it will have a new idea every few seconds. You know? It will come up with something. And I don't have to believe this. I don't have to identify with this. I don't have to follow this faithfully. Give me a thought and I will believe it. Give me a, a thought and I will adhere. You know? Any thought, show it, and I will take it on. You know, no, I don't have to. We don't have to. And so, some of these uh, universal characteristics. Just a kind of a little bit of a recap here, although we have still some time. I can go on a bit. I could say every experience we have, be it heard or seen, thought of, uh, an emotion, something felt in the body, in the environment, anything that we experience has specific characteristics. Would you agree? Some things are far, some things are near, some things are, feel pleasant, others feel unpleasant in the moment. You know? 
some things are blue, other are yellow. Yeah? Every experience has its specificity. Some things were of the past, others of the future maybe, will happen in the future. But every experience has a few things in common. They're called the universal characteristics. That's usually what we don't care about. What we care, what I care about is the specificity of this. I want, or I like, or I prefer, or I don't prefer. This is very specific. You know? But all these things have in common to be. One is... Oh, yes. Thank you. Thank you. Ruth King is back. Yeah, the three P's of Ruth King. So they're, they're not permanent. Honey, not permanent. Not... Not what? Personal and not perfect, you were saying. Yeah. So... Yeah, so impermanence is what everything has in common. And now I'm saying this, it's an information, it might be just interesting, barely. It's good to reflect on this. Has this been true in my life? You know? And the most powerful way to go about it is through uh, meditation, to have a direct experience of this, probably several regular encounter, regular, regular high-quality encounter with the impermanent nature of events. And we were saying in a group today, the way it works, liberation, imagine a boat tied to a duck, and the rope tying the boat to the duck is um, scratching the duck with you know, waves and wind, and, and very slowly it's scratching, scratching, or frick. There's friction like this. And at some point, doop, the boat is freed from the dock. Yeah. It's the same thing with what we call vipassana, or insight. Is we keep noticing the disappearing nature of things. Oh, this taste just disappeared. No, I want to keep it going. I want the recipe. I want more of it. Is there more? Can I squeeze another one? before they close the kitchen, you know? <laughs> Just noticing, oh, it appears and it disappears. So noticing the disappearance of things, which we often don't, we move to the next thing. Or we hold it as a concept. Really like that cake, want the recipe, you know? And we keep it going. I remember at one retreat, uh, one person uh, said it was far, very different than now, but they came in one interview, and they said, uh, they said, Pascal, when I'm going home, I'm going to start knitting again. This I clarified for myself. <laughs> so, yeah. Tell me more. And the person said, this tree in front of the meditation hall, this orange is so beautiful, I'm going to knit myself a sweater this color. Keep it going. <laughs> Make it solid. Make it permanent. Very natural. It made sense to me. You know, wow, me too. I want to start knitting. You know? But what was going on there, we could say, 
is that there was something uh, pleasant and we wanted to keep it going. So creatively, how can I cannot bring the tree back home? If I was to bring the tree back home, probably something would happen to the orange on the way home. <laughs> At some point, how can I keep this going? Oh, a sweater I would keep it going. So what we want to do is have a regular contact. Be This is the training in perception. Instead of continuing to train ourselves in perceiving the specific characteristics of things, we start very slowly to train ourselves in noticing also that they arise and pass. When the Buddha talks about body, about uh, breath, about activities of the body, postures, about mind states, about anything, he's always saying, notice the arising, notice the passing. This. Pay attention to this. Notice, huh? just disappeared. <coughs> the thought just passed. Maybe it has a specificity. It was saying something specific. But let's not focus on this for just a little while here in this research center, not what the thought says, but the fact that it arises and passes. And so, through meditation, a regular encounter with impermanence is known to be very powerful, liberating. Would you have thought about this yourself? I wouldn't. Like, okay, I want freedom in my mind. How could I go about it? I would not have thought, let me check that everything passes. There's a chant, I think they chant in, in Burma, that says something like, knowing, deeply knowing, I'm paraphrasing here, I'm doing, I'm doing the best I can to be close to the, the I'm, I'm trying to remember, but something like, deeply knowing the impermanent, impermanent nature of things bring the deepest peace. Something like this. Anichawata sankara wagamino suko. Something like this. And it says, Anicha is the first word, which is the word for impermanence. I often use ephemeral because impermanence got a little bit drab for me after 20 years. <laughs> I couldn't hear it anymore. It was like, so I was like, what are we talking about? that can resonate again. Oh, it's ephemeral. It appears and disappears. And so here, we're not training ourselves in opinions and preferences. We're training ourselves in, in staying. That's why Kamala and the Buddha and all others say, connect with something and stay with it. Connect and sustain attention so you can actually see the cycle of arising and disappearing. Another characteristic, well, we named them, yeah? So, not permanent, not personal. How amazing is that? That's not how I view things. My, the lens I wear, which seems to be objective, not subjective, It seemed to be factual. This is me, this is my body, this is my breath, this is my room, 
this is my role, you know? If we pay a little bit more attention, we might start to notice, oh, it's my room, but just for a few days. <laughs> it's my room, then it's not my room anymore. It's my role, but it's not my role all the time. My colleague Anushka talks about this well when she said, imagine that I'm totally identified with the role. I get to the airport, and they say, you're 27B. Oh, no, I sit in front. <laughs> well, now you're a passenger. <laughs> so you're 27B. No, I sit in front. No, it's a role. It appears, and then it disappears. You know, you don't want to bring this in your family. You know, start. Okay, mom, dad, sit now. <laughs> I'm going to fix you. <laughs> It's a different role, being a son, you know? It's a different, has different conventions to it. It's a different uh, location, you know? And so, uh, not, this is not personal, I and mean, we might find this. Oh, it's just something that comes to be, you know? The young one is, works for a while. <laughs> that I'm not the youngest one anymore, you know? the most clever, or the worst, or the whatever it is, you know? And so that tendency to appropriate, to define ourselves by, to identify with, is a tricky thing to do. Here we have the chance, or through practice, to actually question this. Hold on. You know, memory, is that mine? Really? It's, it's conditional. The conditions seem to be gathered for memory to be present. But memory belongs much more to nature, to the conditional world. It arises, and at some point memory, as we know very intimately, some of us, you know, Memory can appear and disappear. So does health, youth, opinions. You know, for me, I read the newspaper. If there is a better opinion than mine, and the person is good at convincing me, I'll change opinion. It'll become my new opinion. Then I'll be very happy to go anywhere and offer it as my opinion. But it was conditional. It needed me to be touched by somebody talking about something in a certain way. So that suddenly it became mine for a while until something more subtle with another nuance come, comes in. Then I'm going to replace it or adapt it you know, to what makes sense. And so it's, the research goes really far. Any element of what makes moi is questionable. Is that really me, mine? And in practice... It happens very naturally that we'll notice how oh, it goes from my hand to tingling or heat. Suddenly the perception changes a bit. I could say my hand, it's a way to perceive the situation. But would you agree there's another way to perceive the situation? That we could say not so much my hand, but the field of radiating heat or space or tingling. So it's not like it's not my hand, it's just a switch of perception. I perceive. 
So, of course, I'm here, it's me, Pascal, etc. But when I look and I go at another level, another way to look at it, like they do in science, you know, you take a microscope, it looks really solid, you come closer, it vibrates. We do this with our attention, we can do this, go verify. And in this way, we loosen up this, the rigidity of a sense of self, isolated, uh, etc. It can, it can open up. And that's how we get to not take things so personally. It's like, oh, your view of Pascal is yours. I don't have to identify with, you know, you think I'm bad, you know. No, stop thinking this. I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. Your view of Pascal is yours. You know, of course, you know, there's things happening that might have helped create that view. But, you know how somebody comes and abuses verbally the Buddha. It's in Pali, so I can tell you exactly what they said with another language. And the Buddha stays really calm. The person leaves, and somebody who was witnessing said, Hey, you, you, didn't, you didn't say nothing? You, you don't seem... What's the word? Your feather ruffled by this? And uh, the Buddha says, Imagine somebody uh, comes to you, and they want to give you something. They have a present. They want to give it to you, but you don't take it. What happens to the present, the gift? The person is stuck with it. So I didn't take it on. You know, it's not mine, it's their words. I'm paraphrasing here. I hope they take care of their words. You know, it's theirs. You know what I chant in the morning? The second part, you know? We're we're the owners of our actions. We're born from our actions. We're the heirs of our actions. And so, uh, what is emitted there is going to have ripple, you know? And the Buddha is like, I'm not identifying with this. I'm not taking this on. Things are not that personal because human nature, because they're conditional. That might be the key point here. Anything is conditional, so it means it's not exactly mine. Like the other one, there might be another one that I think it's is mine, my this or my that. You know, pet, husband, dog, <laughs> child. You know. Is that really mine? or my house, or bicycle, is that really mine? At a certain level, yes, but if somebody decides that, no, it's not your bicycle, it's mine now. You know, the absolute reality of this will be revealed, that it was not absolutely mine. It's good to know before, you know, before youth goes, before health goes, that it was not exactly mine. It was there, precious maybe, worth taking care of, but it's in its nature to come and go. So it cannot be owned completely.
and not perfect, and we'll finish with this, is uh, because things are conditional, because uh, things are ephemeral, it means they're unstable. They might happen, they might not happen. They will crumble at some point. My joy, my sense of humor is not exactly mine and it cannot do the job completely because it's liable to change. It can change. And so it makes it not perfect. It's really strange for a human being to live in a world that is defective in this way in relationship to what we would respond well to. I want this, let me get it, let, let it be satisfying. You know? And things don't have that capacity to satisfy us completely. Why do I know this? Because you wouldn't be here if something had been completely satisfying. If it had worked, you wouldn't be here questioning life. You know? And what we tend to do is project on things satisfaction, project on things solidity, and project on things that there can be mine or are mine. These are projection. We put this onto things. They're not in them. Things cannot satisfy us completely. Oh, when I get this status, or when I get this thing, or this being in my life. And yet... It can't totally do it because even if the, let's say the person, the perfect mate, Tinder mate, <laughs> the perfect <laughs> beloved, can't because might get sick, might not see me in the same light <laughs> after a, a decade or a couple of coffees. <laughs> you know? You look like my soulmate when I saw you on the app. <laughs> but now that we're having our second drink, I see that you're defective. <laughs> I'm very disappointed in you. It's not the person who's disappointing. <laughs> it's the fact that I have put on that uh, satisfaction. You know? So, here... It's very sobering, this practice, you know, <laughs> that we say, oh, even like you're coming here maybe to create some kind of perfect personality, yeah. like I'm going to invest a week here, and I'm really going to rebuild my personality, so it's not defective anymore, you know, and this or that person will love it completely, you know. It's never good, the personality is never going to be satisfying you know, the Buddha had enemies, the Christ had enemies, you know, people thought they, they were bad, or, you know. And so, uh, yeah, let's finish with uh, this here, this last bad news. <laughs> it's really strange that it can be so, it can be so liberating to, to it, that's what it's known for, it's not like, let's bring bad news so everybody gets depressed, you know. It's, it's tenderizing. To me, it brings out compassion. Wow. Nothing will ever be mine or be ours totally. It can escape at any moment. 
nothing will completely do it. <gasps> so it brings compassion to me. Oh my God, this is the deal we're in. Ah, let's take care of each other. Let's talk about it. Let's try to make this known. You know, when others are like, when you get this car, you'll be completely satisfied, you know. <laughs> no, it's not going to do it. Not this, of course. Nor anything else. Wow. And yet it's possible to engage with things, to be in relationship with the world, to create projects and stuff, but not to lay a trip on the things that it should work perfectly and get all worked up when it doesn't, you know? Maybe uh, we'll have a chance to speak more about this, but let's leave it to that for now. Okay, let's take a moment just to let the words dissolve. deeply, very intimately know the impermanent nature of things. Come at peace with this. And in there find the joy for what is precious and passing through and the tenderness for the disappearing nature of everything. Thank you so much for your attention. If you want to play with this in the next few hours, one way could be to notice the endings of things. The talk just ended, the bell just ended, and let's see what else will end. The sitting is just about to end. Thank you. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.